0: Matt Smith, joined by Brian Morey, is another episode of our Patents from the Past podcast. And we're very pleased today to be joined by a real throwback Patriot, um, a guy who was an integral part of the second Patriots team to ever make it to the Super Bowl, the 1996 AFC champions. And we're pleased to be joined by former fullback Sam Gash. Sam, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: I guess the first thing that we should ask and that fans would want to know is what is Sam Gash up to today in 2020?
1: 2020, I am just kind of raising my kids. I ended up getting a little disability from the NFL. And right now I'm just, I have five boys. Uh, One's about to go off to college. He's playing uh, lacrosse in Albany. And um, one just left, and he's a walk-on at the University of Michigan right now, and then we have three kids. Uh, one will be a a freshman, seventh and sixth grade uh, this year. So, you know, with the whole, uh, you know, COVID deal that's going on, I've had a lot of time to, you know, spend with the kids, and it's something that, you know, when I was playing, I had time, but I was not mentally there because you had to be so – you know, football, kind of the thinking of it was a little different. I don't know if it's still the same today, but, you know, back then it became a full-year job. You know, you had to kind of, you know, continue to grind and, and and really, you know, make sure that your craft was honed by the time you got to camp and stuff. So I've had a lot of time to just relax with those guys and, you know, catch up with some old buddies and everything right now. But, yeah, I hadn't been doing a whole lot.
0: Well, I will say that in talking to some people, uh, if, there's, if, there, if there's a silver lining, Sam, um, in this terrible COVID era that we're living in, um, it's a real chance to reconnect with your family. And so Absolutely. it must be a joy for you with five kids to be able to be around the house and spend time with them, time that yep. you probably weren't able to spend, certainly when you were playing or coaching, as you were alluding to. But again, right. if there's a silver lining, that has to be it, don't you think?
1: It's been awesome. I mean, you know, I've really had a chance to even go to the field and watch them and, you know, just kind of help train them a little bit and just, you know, share what what I've got for them in terms of how they're going to make it because, you know, a lot of the guys that make it aren't – it's not just about talent. It doesn't mean that, you you know, the most talented out there are the guys that make it, but there's a secret, you know, a bunch of secrets, I should say, because everybody has their own method, but I'm just trying to share what I kind of learned and – uh, through football to the kids, and and they kind of take it and enjoy it.
2: Obviously, not now because of what's going on with with COVID and everything. But do do you do any like volunteer stuff at your local high school with the kids or anything?
1: You know, I did not, and only because you know I want to be uh, I want to watch my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I'm coaching, I'm not watching them. I'm watching everybody else, and you know, in a sense, I'm being a little selfish. You know, right there, because I do enjoy, you know, watching them and just being able to sit with my wife and we can talk and I can film from the film, uh, from the stands and come home after the game and watch it with them. And, you know, they tell me what they think and, you know, things like that. So I, I really, you know, haven't thought about doing a lot of the volunteering and stuff. I'm just, I figure I got enough. People around to volunteer with and that's you know all my kids good for
0: you for being selfish so, I like that.
2: so i'm curious though because I, I coached my kid in high school baseball mm. and i was hard on him oh yeah you know and, and so i'm curious if you're filming your kid and going home and popping in the the, t- the quote-unquote tapes uh how yep. does he receive it coming from dad
1: well you know he he listens because, and only because they know that I've been there, done that, and seen that and stuff. So they they kind of do listen to that opinion. But with my one that's going to Michigan now, we pretty much after every game, he'd come home and, you know, I'd have a bunch of clips. And, you know, we'd sit and watch him and, and they hadn't even come out on the uh, huddle and stuff yet. But gotcha. I had the, the dad's perspective. You know, because I'm it's like focused on him. I'm well, focused on him period. Well, my
2: my favorite part because you know I played college baseball. I didn't play professionally, mm-hmm. obviously, but it, my son would say, "Dad, I don't know yeah. what it is, but when you tell me something, I don't listen, and when Coach P tells me the same exact thing, I listen to him."
1: Yeah, I'm no like, doubt. Okay. I, I've gotten that too. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely, and that's you know, and that's another thing that I did was, you know, I would talk to his coach. You know, unbeknownst mm-hmm. to him, but you know, just you know, just because his coach would want to talk and just share ideas and things that, you know, maybe certain drills or things that, you know, if he's looking to do something, and we would talk, mm-hmm. and then I would just kind of tell him what I thought, and you know, then I would tell him to tell Isaiah something because again, they listen, but they don't. You know, I'm still there, right. first and foremost, that's so that's you it. and you get that after coaching your kid, but. You know, it, it's been fun, and my oldest playing lacrosse. I've learned so much about lacrosse that I never knew about. And he's now he's six four, like two fifteen, and you know runs probably a four four, and he's a defenseman in lacrosse, and he's chomping at the bits to to yeah. get to get going.
0: That's great, Sam. That's good to hear yeah. that you're so involved with him and everything like that. I wonder, as a Penn State guy, great school, your son's going to Michigan, but was there now that they're in the Big Ten, the Penn State, was there a little uh, tinge of uh, you know, she don't want to go to dad's alma mater, you
1: know. No, no, it that? wasn't that. It was dad's alma mom alma mater. Didn't even didn't look know, at talk him. To him. Yeah. Didn't even look at him. And you know, I'd have to think that if Joe Paterno was there, that that would be different, right? Because he made a big point of you know getting the kids that you know if your dad played there, then he was big on the legacy part of it. Because I played with probably four or five guys whose dad played there when I was there, so. You know, but and they don't do. I'm, I, you know, they don't really do that as much now. I think it's more on the four star, three star, whatever, whatever nine star, you know, player is or whatever. I think they, you know, base it a lot on that. But now I'm a Michigan fan. Now I mean, I love Penn <laughs> State. I've always, you know, I've been there and I'm proud of it, regardless of everything that has happened. I'm very proud of of going to Penn State and playing for Joe Paterno. But You know, now I'm a Jim Harbaugh fan. Let's go Michigan. Go blue.
0: There you go. There you go. Well, so you're talking about four stars and three stars and things like that. What number star was Sam Gash coming out of Penn State as uh, he was prepping to play in the National Football League?
1: Well, yeah, I don't know what kind of star I was. You know, coming out of high school, that's when they do the stars. I don't know if they do the stars (laughs) Yeah, they don't. But but
0: I was just wondering, like, uh, so you're an eighth-round pick
1: did, yeah, you, think, did yeah. you think that
0: eighth round which was, they don't have eight rounds anymore exactly no
1: where, where no. did
0: where did you think or what did you think i guess i should say as it's as draft time is approaching and you're you know your hat's in the ring so to say to mm-hmm. um extend mm-hmm. to play professional football
1: oh yeah no i thought i was going third to fifth round you know i felt like i tested when when i, I was a late addition to the combine didn't get to play in any kind of all-star games anything like that but when I went to the combine and saw who I was, you know, the guys that I was compared against, I thought I stacked up well with them. But, you know, at the time I was 224 pounds, so they were too small to be a fullback, too slow. I was a 4'6", you know, 4'7 guy, too slow to be a tailback. So it's funny because when I got drafted, I was by myself. I didn't have a bunch of people over. I was at co- in college, and a family that I used to hang out with, would let. they just let me come over and hang in the basement. So I was there and, you know, I saw we drafted Kevin Turner. I was like, "Oh, OK, you know, he's a good fullback, played against him in college. Uh, and then come rounds later, I'm already pissed because it's like the next day. So I'm fuming right now because I'm like, These, yeah, he was getting a chance to play and I'm not. So uh, I saw uh, Scott Lockwood pick 204. And I can remember this like it was yesterday for some reason. I can't remember yesterday, but I can remember this like it was yesterday. <laughs> you know, it was um, uh, uh, they picked Scott Lockwood, picked 204, you know, pick 205. The Patriots select Sam Gas. And I'm just sitting there looking at the TV like, did somebody just pick me? <laughs> you know, did the Patriots just pick me? So I wait a few minutes hang out, and then I eventually called the Patriots, because we've been at the combine, we had numbers for all the teams and stuff, so I called and was like, hey, I think y'all just drafted me. What do I need to do next? And they that didn't was kind call of you? Way, no, they, I called them, but they were just like, oh, we were getting ready to call you, but obviously they had just drafted Lockwood. He was picked 204, and then they picked me, so they probably didn't have time. I don't know if I gave them a whole lot of time, because I was expecting the call before I got drafted, right. but it just didn't didn't happen like that so you know i called him and was like hey what's next you know I, i'm ready to go so and Sam, that was kind of it
2: when you got here so mm-hmm. you said you were kind of that middle weight right 224 mm-hmm. when you got here was one of the first things that the coaches and bill parcells said to you is let's get your weight up
1: uh no in that world you gotta understand i had three head coaches while i was there I had Dick McPherson.
2: Oh, Coach Mac, ninety-two. I had That's, coach right. That's right. Coach Mac. Well, and
1: I, I, I say three, but really four, because we had Coach McPherson. He was he got sick. Something happened to him. Scar. And then Dante Skardnecki took right. over. That's right. And Dante at the time was a special teams coach. So when when we get the camp, when I get the camp, you know that year, uh, shoot, I, it's nine running backs in the room. I'm number nine. You know, I was the last draft pick in the room. So, you know, it was one of those things where I had a cousin that was that had played in the league, Thane Gash. Now he was a safety with the Browns and uh, the 49ers, I believe. Um, And it was one of those things where, shoot, I just tried to hit everything as hard as I could, as often as I could. And I wanted to make the coaches say, wow, once a day, at least. And that was kind of. You know what he said. You got to stay relevant. So my deal was I was too small. You know that what they said to play fullback, but I, I felt like I could hit with anybody. I had a neck roll on, and I felt like I was you know a brick running through there and couldn't and couldn't nobody stop me. That's what I thought.
0: You mentioned Scar uh, Sam, and so the natural follow up to that is: Are you surprised that as recently as this past year, Dante was still doing it? still a factor from an offensive line standpoint and you can you must be able to relate you know because he was there for your rookie year you know and what were your impressions of him and the fact that his longevity was such and how successful a career he had
1: a great teacher of the game you know he taught and he taught techniques you know he 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 basically you knew what to do he made it player-friendly speech in a sense the way he was but Dante was always the same guy. You know, he didn't put a guy out there based on color or anything like that, nor did he talk to guys differently. He always respected guys when he talked to you, but you knew that you didn't really want to make him mad because he had a way of, you know, looking at you and kind of shaking his head and stuff and, and knew that he dis- you disappointed him. And he was at the time, the special teams coach. So I was, I was all in, you know, Dante wasn't getting a lot of, you know, reps and stuff, but you know, I thought Dante, the reason that he's still because he's still I saw him a few years ago and he was the exact same mannerisms that he had back then. And he's just as laid back, as calm. But when he speaks, I mean, he always has something uh, beneficial to say. I mean, it's all, he's he's all, he always makes a point and, and he's not going to teach you or tell you something that's going to get you beat. And he was a good technician. He had good drills. And just, it's, I'm not surprised that that he's there, and he could be coaching anything. I think mean, he could coach any position because he's a great teacher.
2: Think about this: not only was Dante Scarnecchia here for Sam Gash's rookie year, mm-hmm. he was here for Nikhil Harry's rookie year and Kenneth Sims' rookie year. <laughs> That's how long wow. he lasted here. So, why do you think? So, you you worked with Scar. Why do mm-hmm. you think that he was able to last throughout so many different? head coaches here you know a lot of times as a head coaching change the whole staff goes Dante Mm -hmm. was here for Ron Meyer he was here for Dick McPherson Bill Parcells uh Pete Carroll Bill Belichick I mean he he's he's been able to to last through all those coaching staffs why do you think that Mm is
1: I think he's again a great teacher I think that he, he he understands the game. He you know he studies the studies the game, understands the game, and can put players in the best and teach them the best techniques to win at what they do. He did that when when I was there. I mean, we were I think two and fourteen my rookie year. But and back then we only had forty five guys on the roster. Period. There was no practice squads. There was no. There may have been injured reserves and stuff, but. You know, Dante took a core of us. We were two and fourteen. We were young guys, but we were, I think, top five in just about all special teams categories. And that was a tribute to him because special teams is a tough it's a it's a tough group to coach because you're coaching everybody. You really could be the head coach as a special teams coach, and that's why I thought Dante when they transitioned him into that interim head coach that year, there wouldn't there's not a better person that could have done that.
0: So your second year, um, you know. Parcells. Yep, Bill Parcells. Mm -hmm. And um, would it be safe to say, Sam, that you saw an immediate attitude change when he walked in the door? And how would you describe that?
1: Confidence. You know, he walked around confidence. He held his head high. And when he spoke to you, like I say, he was always going to tell you the truth in a sense, whether you liked it or not if you thought you were doing good but he didn't he let you know and stuff and he gave you you know not a whole lot of chances you had to be he had to trust you and from what I found on Parcells and that was the hardest training camp I think the next couple years was the hardest training camps I think I'd ever been through but if you made it through those training camps it might take you a little while to heal during the season. You get through September, October, but every year, come November, December, you are so hardened for football and primed and ready to go that your body finally caught up to you. That there's there was uh, no holding you back, and I think that's why he could turn he turned that team around. You know, so quick was because he mentally and physically hardened us in training camp. That was, I mean, it was too. Straight weeks or two a days, like 14 straight days or two a days in pads, rolling.
2: And and what did he mean to you, Sam? Because, because, I mean, he obviously comes uh, in with a completely different, maybe, approach and style. And mm -hmm. maybe that suits what you're looking to do the neck roll guy looking to hit people. Did that fit well with Coach Parcells?
1: Well, I, you know, I just knew that I had the whatever he asked me to do that I had to do. And that was the control that he had over me because. I think it may have been – it had to be 90. Kevin had just left, you know, got a big deal at Philly, well-deserved. I mean, I thought he's a great player and stuff, Uh, well, well well-deserved. But uh, we were playing, I think, San Diego at the time, and we were up and down maybe a little bit, and he brought me in and basically challenged me and, you know, said, you know, they got this guy, Junior Seau, and if, you know – If you can't block him, I'll find somebody that can. And I was like, gotcha, coach. (laughs) And then from that point on, I think that's where I kind of started making a name because he pushed me to where it was going to be him or me. And with Parcells behind me, I knew it wasn't going to be me for long because I was going to make sure that I took care of whatever he asked me to do. He asked me to take care of Curtis Martin best I can as a shield. And we back then, we would play – 40 50 60 plays a game and they were two backs we were two backs I wasn't in there by myself and uh he asked me to help take care of Curtis and I tried to be a shield for Curtis I didn't want anybody to get Curtis you know straight on I was it I was just trying to be a shield for him and make sure that he succeeded the best he could both mentally and physically
0: so uh CM you know uh Show prep is very important in the podcast world. You got to do a little show prep, and so who do I reach out to to try to get a little Sam Gash information? But one of my good friends and a former teammate of yours, Scott Zolak, and Zolak. so Zoe's tell, oh, yeah. telling me today, he goes, "Ask Sam about playing the Chargers and Junior Seau and the film after the Chargers game with Ray Perkins." And he goes, he goes, "Here is a Hall of Fame linebacker." Junior Seau, one of the greatest to ever play the game. And he goes, Sam Gash destroyed Seau. And Perkins went back and forth um, on the tape and just goes, watch watch him here, watch him here. Bam! There he goes. Sam Gash. Bam! There goes Seau down. And he goes, he just repeated it, repeated it, repeated it. He said, you toyed with Junior Seau that game. He goes, that's when I knew Sam Gash could play because he manhandled a Hall of Fame player. God rest his soul. But
1: God rest his soul. True, true story player. or was Zoe true Story. No, no. I mean, I don't remember the, the. All I remember is Parcells bringing me in saying, if you can't block this guy, I'll find somebody that can. And then from that point on, it was like I went blank. I was like, OK, whatever I have to do. And then Zolak, he uh, if he said that, then, yeah, because I, I, I forgot all about Ray Perkins and Ray used to like that. You know, that hard nosed, you know, tight football too. And uh yeah. No, that was Say I was the one I remember.
2: So so you said you had to protect Curtis, if you will.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What was what was blocking for Curtis like a guy who could change directions, you know, hit holes quickly, probably mm-hmm. ran with some good patience. What was it like blocking for Curtis?
1: He had patience, he had balance, he had a burst, you know, like, cause I, my, my job was to try to run through the hole as fast as I could and clear anybody that's in, in, in the way. And as fast as I ran in there, Curtis was right on me, you know? So, and he, he was such, he, he, his reactions were so quick. I mean, he could, like you say, you think that he's running one way, And then then next thing you know, he's running back the other way, full speed, not breaking stride and just being able to have the balance to get through an arm tackle. Because, you know, it wasn't all us. Curtis, you know, made a lot of people miss, ran through a lot of tackles that people didn't think he could and stuff. But he was uh, it was just fun, you know, being out there with him and making sure that he was okay. And that was kind of my deal. Like, you good? You good? All right, let's go. And stuff.
0: So I, I think um, many Patriot fans r- recall, uh, Sam, that 96 season with, um, with great joy um, as the franchise is coming back and um, you get to the AFC championship game and you're going to the Super Bowl. And it's always stayed with me. Um, that in the immediate aftermath of that game, as uh, the AFC championship game trophy is being presented to first Robert Kraft and then Bill Parcells, that Parcells mentions in front of the completely banged out stadium, you know, Sam Gash, a part of this is for you. Patriot fans might not recall that in December against the Jets, you got hurt
1: mm-hmm. and you
0: missed that playoff run. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: A, how much did that hurt to not be a part of that playoff run? And B, what did that mean to you? when Bill took the time at a tremendous moment in his career and for the team and the success that they were having for him to single you out on the stage that night.
1: Mm. You know, it, it, I mean, it floored me, you know, it it truly did because that whole time when I tore tore my knee up, I felt like I was having probably my best, you know, career at that point. I was doing probably the best that I had done in terms of stats and making people understand, like starting to know who I am. And everything. And then when that happened, you know, I kind of got up, got out, you know, it hurt. I knew something initially was wrong. Uh, Got up, tried to walk off the sideline, didn't want help, you know, and then eventually walked in because it was over. And then from that point on, I tried to come back. I was like, hey, coach, I think I can play. (laughs) I can come back, coach. I can get I, I, you know, I can still I can run straight. You know, and then finally uh, they waited like five weeks, and I had surgery in January right during, you know, that run. And I think I was probably still in the hospital when he said that. And it just – I can can kind of remember nurses and stuff coming by. Did you hear what Coach Parcells just said? Did you hear that? And it just – I mean, I was speechless because I had so much admiration for Coach Parcells, and it's not like, you know, I was always – talking to him and all that stuff. But it was just the way he commanded a team. I had, you know, it was just like, I had never seen it before like that. And uh, when he did that, I I live in Green Bay now. And every time I see people, I'm saying, hey, if I'd have been playing in that 96 Super Bowl, we'd have definitely won. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was just, that was just the way I felt because I felt like if I could get on the field at whatever team I was on, and I think I only, I played like 12 years and I think I was only on like three of like maybe four losing teams and stuff, oh. uh, you know, and that, and that was something that, you know, I wanted to do, I wanted to do be known as a winner. And I was like, yeah, I may not make the money and all that, but I just want you to remember me. And that's why I played hard, as hard as I did for the respect of the game. But Well, if you could have helped out in
2: pass protection, Sam, on Reggie White, maybe it's a different ball game.
1: <laughs> oh, I knew Reggie well. I done chipped him. And that's I ain't going to block him. That's not my guy to block, but I'll make sure that he goes one direction and stuff and that was kind of what I did.
2: So so do you do you honestly feel that it would have been a different game had you been in there?
1: Well, with 100%. I I 120% I feel like the, because I just felt like I could control the tempo of a game. You know, and I was going to make people not want to be on the field. You know, the ones that I played against a dread getting back out there and I just you know, I mean, we ran the ball. The special teams aspect, you know, was, you know, kind of did. But I don't know how the game went. Don't remember it at all. I just remember being on the sideline saying that if I was in there, we win. And that was just, you know, selfish of me saying that. But that's just what I believe.
2: So, Sam, let's let's talk about maybe a little bit of a transition for you mm-hmm. and the team. First of all, did you have any idea that Coach Parcells was coaching his last game when you were there or when you, when you went down to New Orleans? And then part two, that transition to Pete Carroll, you know, just initial, I I know a year later what happened and we can get there, but your initial reaction to going from the task masking, task masker Coach Parcells to more of the lighthearted West Coast Pete Carroll.
1: Well, I, first of all, I had no idea that Coach Parcells was leaving. I had heard rumors like, "Oh yeah, he might be out of here," but I had no idea where and stuff uh, when that ha- when that whole thing happened. But when it did, I knew that whoever was in there that I could play for, because if I can play for Coach Parcells, I feel like I can play for any team in the league and stuff. And only because there's a toughness that that he likes. And it and that is football, and I felt like that I kind of possessed that. So Pete Carroll comes in, and mind you, this was right after the Super Bowl, so I had ACL surgery in January, right? And uh, by that next July, you know, I was kind of you know pushed like, hey, if you can't practice, you ain't gonna make it, and stuff. So I'm like, oh, and it's been six months, you know, after I had the ACL surgery, so you know that year I buckled up braced up and practiced. first practice as soon as we started practicing whenever it was july it had to be july sometime in yeah, july, july. Yep. i was i was in there going so you know i barely made the team i think you know because i think we ended up getting keith byers that might have been the, i think he was maybe there at that time yeah, i
2: think he was there on the super bowl team. byers was on the super bowl yeah
1: team. on the super bowl mid-year, team, yeah. mid-year
0: acquisition i
2: believe
1: yeah, yeah, and and I love Keith, and, but Keith was a different fullback than I was. No question. You know, he was, you know, he was a running fullback, I mean, good pass catcher, solid protector and everything, but he just wasn't as a blocker that I was. Yep. So we get uh, Pete, and uh, again, uh, six months after, and I made the team, so I was like, you know, here we go, all right, now. But I think he lost the team because he wasn't as like a Parcells. And that just that group had been so, I think, hardened to the way we had done things. I mean, we wanted to work hard. We wanted it to be tough because we knew we were, you know, something was happening. And when he wanted to, you know, kind of go play basketball, uh, you know, take a day and do, you know, let's do a fun activity, we weren't used to that. And and I think that that definitely affected, and probably why Pete, you know, didn't last. As long as he did out in Seattle and stuff, it was just a different mentality. But you know, Pete's done a good job. I mean, Pete's—he's proven to be a great coach, you know, as well because he wins and stuff. And I think we won that first year that he was there. I want to say we still we won, had a winning record. Playoff but
2: team ten and six, Playoff in the division team, yeah. in the last week at Miami, yeah, won Miami. the division. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. But but Sam, for you personally. Uh You're at the 96, you know, you're in the hospital for the 96 AFC championship game and Coach Parcells Uh puts you on a pedestal and the fans Uh erupt, you know, made you, maybe in that moment became kind of a fan favorite blue collar New England, the type of player New Englanders love.
1: Loved it. Six months
2: later, you're playing in a knee brace, probably shouldn't be on the field six months after ACL surgery, Uh fighting to even make the team. Mm -hmm. How hard was that mentally for you to go from this place where you had the the head coach had such respect for you to a head coach that didn't know you and maybe wasn't even concerned about whether you're going to be there or not?
1: Well, you know, that was obvious because the very next year they signed Tony Carter, I think. And I was I wanted to be a patriot like Troy Brown. I mean, shoot me. Troy, Troy was one of my best friends up there as well as Ben and stuff so I wanted to be a patriot for life you know like that but you know Pete came and then like I said all of a sudden out the blue coach uh, Bobby Greer who was you know in personnel at the time was like yeah you're gonna be here I met with him he was like hey we still you know want you and then I'm sitting at home and all of a sudden I see the Patriots sign Tony Carter to this big deal so again my second time I'm pissed (laughs) I mean I'm fuming like oh okay and then I went, I think I had just had wrist surgery. So I went somewhere and maybe didn't, or maybe not that year. But anyway, Buffalo called and was like, how you doing? And I was like, good. I did have wrist surgery at the time. And the doctor asked me, he was like, had you ever played with it broken before, the ligaments? And I was like, yeah, the whole season. And he was like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, you're good. And basically they signed me. And I think when I went there, I think for the next two years, I think we may have lost one game against New England and stuff. I think I record may have been like three and four because playing them twice a year.
2: And it was personal
1: for you. Oh, it was personal, and that's what. Cause, but and it was it was kind of like yeah, it was personal because I wanted to be there, and the fact that I wasn't, you know, I was pissed because that was my home. I played six years there, and I was like, okay. So when I left. I think I made the Pro Bowl the next two years in a row and then ended up going to the Super Bowl and, you know, winning with Baltimore. But it was – yeah, it got real personal for me, and that was kind of what gave me fire fuel and stuff. But I love New England. It was it was a fun time. I mean, it was – I mean, it was just – it was the beginning.
0: But, Sam, that, I mean, I guess that's the way to do it. If you feel like as an employee here and, you know, you're not getting the respect that you think you deserve – you channeled it in a way, yeah. You said it was personal, but you then backed it up. You know, two oh, yeah. Pro Bowl, two Pro Bowl um, uh, births, uh with the Bills, and then going to Baltimore and being part of that team. Now that wasn't an offensive juggernaut. That Baltimore team you won because of defense.
1: Well, um, yeah, but we also control the ball. You did control you know, the ball. We had three stones. We had yep. Jamal Lewis. You know, so and Trent was a great manager of the game. I mean, that's what everybody's like. And we had Ben Coates, Shannon Sharp. You know, so we had guys that not Shannon, Shannon wasn't gonna block much, but Ben <laughs> did. You know who Ben was. Sure,
2: yeah. Was yeah.
1: So, but I mean, you know, I mean we,
0: so the bittersweet part of not getting to play in the Super Bowl in ninety six when you were such an integral in, integral part of that team, you know, you come full circle a little bit with Baltimore. That mm-hmm. must have just really you know, to get back and for you to be able to play and for you to be a part of that championship team, that's a nice way to cap a career, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah. No, it was. But the crazy thing about it is I go to Buffalo, make the Pro Bowl two years in a row because I knew like once my knee got healed up, that it was going to be a different world and stuff in terms of the way I played and the way I went at it. And then I made the Pro Bowl two years up there and got cut after that with Bruce when they made that big Thurman, you know, everybody left. And they never take beat that, New England <laughs> again. Yeah, you know, Well, I'll take that back now. You know what we did because. We ended up beating them. No, I mean I when you got cut. No, oh yeah, but then I came back in 2003, and then we beat them for 31 oh, nothing in the right. first yes, game of, course, of the season, yes. and that was just a snot blood, you know, it was <laughs> hard. And then they beat us 31 nothing in the last game. That's
2: Right, Brady. <laughs> th- Brady threw four interceptions in that game, including one to Sam Adams for a touchdown.
1: Yep, touchdown. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but after I got cut from Buffalo, going back to getting to Baltimore, uh, I didn't get a call. I may, I think I talked to a couple teams that I think I may have had another surgery at the time to where they didn't pass me on the physical. And then Ozzie Newsom called me and asked me to come up for a physical. This was like a week in the training camp. So I'm thinking after making the Pro Bowl two years in a row, I'm going to go and not going to play anymore. So it goes a week or so, week, I don't know, in the training camp. And he called and, can you come up? They had just had a guy get hurt. And so I went up and didn't take toothbrush, didn't take anything, because I figured I'd fly up, take a physical, and fly back. Ozzy said, hey, I'll give you a 100000 if you can practice today. <laughs> and this was like pads. I mean, this was like goal line and everything. So I was like, sold. Let's go. And then so I go, and then I get out, uh, go to practice. I think I may have had an hour or two once I got there and signed to get the practice. So I get my gear and go to practice and, you know, I commenced to uh, trying to hit them as hard as I could. I mean, every play, it, it got to the point to where they would come up to me and be like, Hey man, just let me know when you are coming and we can have an agreement. And yeah, this is practice. And I'm like, my practice being with Parcells was my game. If I could make it through that games were easy. And that was kind of the mentality that I took uh, to Baltimore. And then they had Jamal Lew- uh, Jamal Lewis, and Priest Holmes were the runners and you know, I could I could block for them guys all day. You know, so and then yeah, and then I go back to Buffalo in O three, uh, my last year, and ended up doing something to my knee mid season and then signed in New Orleans and off season training and did something else to my knee and then finally it was like, All right, I'm done. and, and that was kinda you know how it ended. I went as long as I could, as hard as I could, but when I was done, there was no regrets whatsoever because I played as hard and as long and as fast as I could.
0: Which was evident by for anybody who watched you, um, not only with the Patriots, but you know when you were with the Bills and especially when you were with the Ravens. Um, that position, Sam, you must look at uh, kind of wistfully. You know, as you see, um, there are teams that don't even carry a fullback.
1: And yet yeah, you no see never it, win the Super Bowl.
0: Correct. And then you <laughs> see, and then you see teams that do have a fullback. And you mm-hmm. see a guy, um, like a James Devlin, who mm-hmm. um, you know, was kind of like a Sam Gash yeah. of a player, lunch mm-hmm. pail guy. Um nobody wears a neck roll anymore, but Devlin would be a neck roll guy, I would think for sure. Yeah. Um yeah. and when the Patriots won the very last very game. earned football, his
2: respect here as a blocker.
0: Right. And you know, yeah. it's it's power football, it's eye formation, and it's mm-hmm. a fullback leading the tailback into the hole. What Mm -hmm. what is your position? Um, Obviously, you have some prejudice towards it, but to the role that the fullback plays in football today.
1: Well, you know, it's a travesty. I look at the the smart teams, you know, they always have a fullback. And I I say the smart teams are the ones that win the Super Bowl. You know, if you go back from time, you go back from whenever. Every team that wins has the Kansas City Chiefs. They keep a fullback on their roster because there always comes a point in time whether it's either running the ball or being a lead blocker or being a pass protector, that you're going to need a guy with a fullback's versatility, even though people don't think of him as versatile. It's like a Swiss Army knife that I just heard somebody reference the other day, but uh, you can do it all and stuff. And when you got a guy that can lead and be a point guy, that's going to run up in the hole and not going to go backwards, you know, those guys become valuable when it's November, December, and you need a yard. And you know that maybe there's they got a good D-line or whatever, and you got to get your tailback back to the line. And a fullback can adjust and make sure that that guy gets to the line. And if he's a good enough runner, you got to get a yard. And that's just the mentality. So the teams that have fullbacks today look out in San Fran. You know, they got a fullback, and they're a good team. I mean, you know, the Patriots for all those years had a fullback. They had Tom Brady you know, and the other position. But like you say, Devlin had a fullback, you know, that will help you and you. They don't use them as much now. I used to play 50, 60 plays. I mean, that would be like a, you know, a pretty good game. Now they may play 15, 10. But those 10 or 15 could be game-changing plays because getting a yard sometimes is more important than having, you know, a big play. It is considered a big play to me.
2: To get that third-and-one or fourth-and-one situation. yeah,
1: Fourth-and-one, yeah. So that's tough.
2: let me ask you this, Sam, because just on this topic,
1: mm-hmm. a
2: lot of college teams are now running that pistol offense, you mm-hmm. know, read, run, run, pass, option type mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and that's starting to make its way into the league a little more. Mm-hmm. Do you think that diminishes the role of the fullback because of that offense?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, because there is no fullback in that offense, not not very much. And I think that that works in college. You don't have as many great athletes, you know, on the field that can really hit the quarterback. If you once you get into the pros, these teams that want to run all that reads zone stuff. If I'm a defensive coach, I'm saying if that quarterback steps out that hole and he looks like he's gonna run it, hit him. You know, I'm gonna drill him and stuff, and it'll be a legal hit. Nothing illegal. But I think that, you know, the teams that can go so much speed in the NFL sideways, you know, like the lateral movement, the lateral speed, especially of some of these smaller linebackers and stuff, it's hard to run those stretch plays out of gun and stuff. But once you put, you know, one, I think that it's going to come back around, you know, fullback, they'll they'll find a good fullback that'll, you know, play who, it, who it's going to be, who knows. But. Yeah, I think that off that college offense will get a quarterback killed in the in, in the NFL, and their first instinct is to run it. You know, like I'm anxious for Lamar Jackson. He's such a good athlete and so good, you know, that I'm wondering how long he is going to be a runner and stuff because you get you get caught a couple times, and you know it, it'll take yeah. it out of
2: you. He seems to avoid at least last year seems to avoid the big hit. With his yep. elusiveness. Right. But yep. if he takes a couple of big hits, is yep. that changing? Yeah. aware.
0: Right. It's you obvious know. in listening to you, Sam, a little bit, you know, uh, that there's an intelligence and about the game and everything like that. And you had, you know, you spent some time coaching. Do you miss mm. coaching? And is coaching something that you want to um, continue to pursue? Or do you think that that part of your life, like, I, I did coaching, I'm, I'm okay with that? How
1: did you- yeah, no, I'd love, I'd love to get five more years or so just for retirement purposes. Now I'm looking, I'm, you know, I'm over fifty, so it's like, hey, where can you get in? But, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough deal. I mean, coaching in it, but it's a lot of fun. You know, I enjoyed it, and I still kind of, you know, I consider myself coaching my boys. You know, just making sure their techniques, uh, simple techniques, are good and things like that. So I'll never say never. But because that's something I feel like I can do in my sleep, you know, as coaches, it it's just you know I don't know because I had to study the game. I wasn't a great athlete, so I had to find the little, you know, the secret hidden points, you know, to get the to get this block done or the what angle is best, you know, just different things like that. That you know I was able to coach John Coon up here, Eddie Lacy, John Coon, James uh, Starks, and those guys, and Coon made the Pro Bowl a couple of years. Absolutely, so. You know, I had to change up the way I coached the fullback. I didn't coach him like I played. And that was kind of the big deal now is that, you know, I don't coach, you know, coach a guy or ever talk to him about head, head placement, you know, anything like that anymore because, you know, use your shoulder pads. You know, there's techniques that you can use that, you know, are sound and, you know, not going to get you heard or, you know, mental – you know, mess with you mentally and stuff like that. So, but that's just something that I do. I'm not really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, you know, I can't complain.
0: You mentioned I'd like
1: to do either that or some scouting.
0: You mentioned your friendship with uh, Troy um, and wanting mm-hmm. to be a Patriot for life. Are you surprised that Troy has uh, chosen the path of coaching here over the last couple of years?
1: I talked to him about it. He, he knows exactly, uh, You know, he he. it doesn't surprise me at all because Troy is such a he was such a smart player. You know, here's a guy that may not have been as big or as fast as, you know, guys uh, were supposed to be. But he was such a productive, you know, player and he, he was a great student of the game. He and I hung out a lot while I was there. He's a year behind me, but we ended up, you know, being really good friends and stuff. So I knew what kind of student. Of the game he was and knew that you know coaching would be a natural transition for him. You know it's not it's not like anything different. Obviously you're not home as much and stuff, but if you got a head coach that loves his family, then they seem to make time and stuff too. So
2: and Troy also an eighth round pick the year later. Yep. But but you know Troy said to me one time, Sam, and, and I think you probably fall into the same category as a fa- as far as your approach and attitude. Troy said to me one day. I just walk in the locker room every day and make sure my stuff is still in my locker. And that always stuck with me because he never took one day in the league for granted.
1: Nope. Hey, that's exactly right. Neither did I. You know, and I was nervous. You know, every practice, you know, I got nervous for games because I knew physically it was going to be tough, you know. So, you know, I was that guy that I didn't, whatever it took to play, I was going to play. But yeah, after the game, you know, when I came in the next day, I wanted to stop looking for my helmet and stuff. So, yeah, Troy, Troy, that, that hit the nail on the head right there because that's exactly the mentality we had. And we would talk about, like, hey, man, you just don't get comfortable, especially with Parcells because he'd cut somebody. Surprise, like a surprise cut pretty much every year. It's like, hey, you better not get comfortable. And basically, you better not get hurt because he told the story of Wally Pip. He was like, you know who Wally Pipp is? And everybody's like, nah, who's Wally Pipp? Well, you know who Lou Gehrig is. He was a guy that Lou Gehrig took the position from and never gave it up. Got you, coach. (laughs) You know, that was kind of the mentality.
0: Our guest has been Sam Gash with our Pats from the Past podcast. Sam, tremendous uh, reminiscing, tremendous stories. And I wanted to say thank you for your time, and best of luck going forward. It was a real treat talking to you today and reliving some of your great Patriot days and your great football insights that you had. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure, man. Thank you for downloading this
0: podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen.